Welcome to the Mom Talk Podcast, where we believe that being an informed mom is key to recognize problems at an early age. As a mom in today's world, facing challenges can be overwhelming, but having the right support can make all the difference. We're proud to provide helpful and trustworthy information to support you on your parenting journey. We do this by interviewing parenting experts from all over the world. Visit us at mom-talk.ca to access our podcast library and stay up to date with our latest content. Follow us on social media for more tips, hacks, and inspiration. Thank you for joining us on this exciting journey of motherhood. Welcome to Mom Talk, the talk show for mom. I'm Genevieve Carlefebvre, and I will be your host today. And I am with today Becca U. Lewis and Heather Fox. Hi, ladies. Hey. Hi. So today we're talking about how to recognize anxiety in children. And we are with Deborah McNamara. Deborah is a, is a clinical counselor, an author, and on faculty at Newfelt Institute. So hi, Deborah. Welcome. It's awesome to have you with us today. Thank you so much. My pleasure to be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anxiety, it's a big topic. We hear about it and uh, and it is a real thing. So children and also adult moms, dads, everybody experience some level of anxiety. There's healthy anxiety, there's unhealthy anxiety, and there's everything in the middle, right? So, but today we're going to talk about like uh, how to recognize our children anxiety. So my first question for you today, uh, Deborah, is uh, what are the common signs that um, we can recognize in uh, our children with anxiety. Yeah, great. It is a big issue. I certainly would uh, echo that. And it uh, shows up in many different ways. And so sometimes it's harder to know uh, or harder to understand that this is the root. The root is that a child is alarmed. And uh, the brain has a very sophisticated alarm system and it's meant to go off. And so it's not necessarily... Uh, a bad sign that we have alarm. We do want to be alarmed uh, sometimes. You know, we want to be alarmed about a test, so we study. We want to be alarmed, so we look both ways before we cross the road. Uh, we want to be alarmed when we open our mouth sometimes, and knowing that uh, the our words could hurt somebody. So alarm is is an emotion that's meant to help us. However, sometimes that emotion can get a little stuck and very high and there's different uh and if you've ever had high levels of alarm you know how uncomfortable uh that is and that discomfort uh inside your body you have different access to different uh, a different experience of that so one of the things that we see when the the body is experiencing a high level of alarm is you see more uh, restlessness you see more pursuit you see more drivenness to cling to clutch to hold on uh, maybe the child doesn't play quite the same way as anymore attention might be a little bit less focused they might talk a little bit about being bored but there's a sense of drivenness to stay close to their people as a source of comfort and just they just don't feel you know i just don't feel okay you know they might not necessarily know why and, and we may feel the same you know hard to concentrate and focus it can show up in many different ways but what you will see is this drivenness to stay close to the people that uh, they seek comfort from or that represent safety to them and so it's like oh okay and you know sometimes parents can feel 
oh, you know, it's too much or, you know, do you have to follow me to the bathroom? And um, okay, we are going to go outside the house. Yes, we can do this. And why is it so hard to get out of the house now? And, you know, there's all these things, but you'll sense it as a parent. You will know that your child seems more stirred up, more stirred up, and it's coming from the inside out. And that's what alarm feels like, looks like. And so just keep your, um, Keep your, your eyes on taking the emotional pulse for your child. That would be key. Uh, the, the second thing that you might see is increased irritability. You know, little things just strike a chord in a bigger way. It's just like, you know, the smallest thing you can't do. It's like, you know, trying to do, you know, if you're, you're alarmed and you're trying to cook and you can't find your measuring cups, it's like somehow a big deal. Uh, it's the same thing for kids, you know, having a test you have to do or not being able to find your favorite jacket or a sibling take something of yours. You might see an extra Ill irritability or heightened response and frustration. And you'd be like, why are the little things seeming so big? Well, the child's under a lot of emotional stress already. Things are stirring them up. And so small little things kindle a big reaction. Uh, so sometimes a lot of our frustration and t temper tantrums, if you see a spike in it, you know, it could be driven from the same source emotionally that a child's just stirred up, they're facing something that's difficult, or a whole bunch of things that have added up to be really difficult. And, um, and the third thing that often I see, particularly with um, kids under the age of 10, is just more difficulty in transitions. So they might not, you know, bedtime's the biggest transition. So you see nightmares, you can see trouble going to sleep, trouble staying asleep or early awakening, uh, you know, getting up earlier. Um, you can see difficulty being dropped off at daycare and preschool where there wasn't uh, difficulty before or going to school. Uh, you can see huge school refusal. In fact, one of the biggest things I see right now in working with educators as well as with parents is a lot of school refusal. And that's actually in some of our older kids too, uh, 10, 11, 12. Uh, we're getting a lot right now as a, as a repercussion of COVID and during COVID. And so uh, this is an alarm-based uh, uh, response often. Something is not, is stirring the child up and they don't feel safe. Doesn't mean they're not safe. It's just that the brain has got orders that you're not safe. So transitions can be really difficult. Getting out of the house can be very difficult. Doing the same things that you love to do, like your soccer game or your swim class, seem to be extra difficult and then parents are like what is going on why is everything so hard how can I help this child you know and um, oftentimes we'll ask them what's wrong but if the alarm is too high kids oftentimes don't know what's wrong we oftentimes don't know what's wrong if uh, if your child can actually tell you what's wrong and it seems to be like the source of it then the alarm isn't really that high they're just telling you, I'm afraid I've got this kid, you know, they sit beside me, I'm afraid this is going to happen. And they're very clear about what it is. That's a very easy problem to solve. When alarm gets too high, it becomes more difficult. Why? Because the child is so stirred up, they're kind of, they're blinded almost to the source of it. And that's not a mistake. That's not a, a broken child or a broken brain or a broken emotional system. That's actually a beautiful emotional system that's doing its job. The child can't see necessarily what it is that's stirring them up as much because it enables them um, to be a little bit more preserved and protected from what it is that's alarming. So that's a very quick snapshot of uh, <laughs> the neuroscience, developmental psychology and emotional understanding of alarm, but I, I, I hope it resonates. I like yeah, what you said about, um, uh, I, I like what you said about like when they're so triggered, they can't 
not even sometimes voice it. And you know, sometimes I've seen this so many times and I've done it myself as a mom, like, why are you not answering me? What's happening? Tell me, I can't help you if you're not telling me. But I feel like if you reflect on this, then wait a second, maybe my child needs space a little bit. Let's actually experience something less like stressful or less and less of a trigger of anxiety for them and uh, revisit this later. Then maybe now there's a little bit more time, more space or, or maybe... I don't know. Is it something that they actually can't even like uh, go there and explain in the future? I don't know. Well, I think your instincts are right and you're following the right direction that if a child is alarmed, what's your instinct as a parent? Your own alarm makes you want to give more 20 questions, right? But actually what you're saying and what you said so beautifully is you counter that and said, no, actually, I think they need less. And that's exactly it. If you're alarmed already, you don't want to add to it. You want to back up, give some space, maybe provide some room for expression somehow. Sit back and think a little bit. How do I make this child's world less alarming? How do I offer connection? How do I create some more safety in the context of my relationship? How do I have patience here? How do I not let my own emotions run away with them? Um, and yes, of course, uh, when the brain is able to come to some rest and able to process the emotion, then yes, sometimes we can actually find our words. The challenging thing is, is that when the, what alarms you can be greatly separated from when you become aware of it. <laughs> and so there is this uh, lag. And the good news is, is that you actually don't always have to be aware of how the alarm was stirring you up or what the source is in order to be able to move forward. Uh, we are capable of great courage. Uh, we are capable, you know, a child over the age of five to seven is capable of great courage. No preschooler is, they're not ready yet brain development wise, but there are, um, we can face difficult things and heal from them and have courage in the face of great things that are difficult or, you know, and, and find our way through. So we don't even necessarily need to find our words for all of them. So don't panic on that front as well, but your instincts are right. They need less. I need to back up. I need to think, I need to give them more of me. And yes, we're going to bide our time here. Emotions will settle, right? Emotions can come back and, and we can talk a little bit more about what it is that uh, we're afraid of potentially. Mm -hmm. That's really, that's really interesting and great, great ways to support a child. And uh, I love how you said that, you know, when uh, the child's anxious, the parent is likely anxious too, wanting to know how they can help and how they can fix it. Um, what would be some things you would say to a parent to, you know, help support them on their anxiety through this? Yeah, well, when this I happens. Yeah, I think you said it well in the sense that we are very alarmed as parents. If you care about your kids, you're going to be alarmed. So first thing I want to tell you, which you may not hear anywhere, is that you are an incredible source to your child in terms of comfort and healing through relationship. Please don't think that you can't offer your child something significant here that can help them through this. We've been parenting children long before their parenting books and experts and beautiful podcasts like this one. And we found our way through. Why? Because we had human connection and caring and we found our way through. And so I just want to assure you of that, because I, I think oftentimes when your child is alarmed, you think you've done something wrong or you're a bad parent or you're not good enough. Actually, their alarm may have nothing to do with you. Nothing. But you have to be the answer to it. Ah, that's the responsibility. So that's the first message I want to send to parents is you are the answer and even if you have contributed to it 
you can do something tomorrow that's very different. It's okay. We can change course. So that's the first thing. So pulling them closer, building relationship, collecting them, getting in their face in a friendly way four to six times a day. You know, if a child's really clinging and clutching, take the lead on it. Come on. Where's my buddy? I got to go get the laundry. Come on. I need someone to hold this. Do you think you're big enough to help me get all the stuff out of the dryer? Now, that's probably not going to work with your teenager. No teenager's going to do that with you. <laughs> but a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old might actually think it's kind of cool. Come on. I got to go shopping. I can't go without you. And by the way, you need to stay very close to me when we're in the store. Okay? <laughs> and they already are because they're clean and clutching. But you're making it your idea. Come on. And you're welcoming it. You're inviting it because you know that you, when your child is close to you, you're the source of safety. So you're saying, of course I am. Be arrogant. Take the lead. Yeah. I've missed you hanging onto my leg like that. Yes. Right. Away we go. I mean, don't say that. That's metaphorical. And <laughs> that's the first thing. And and just make, you know, have a big invitation and, and, and don't convey to them that their feelings are too big, too much, too difficult. Yeah. You're just having big feelings right now. They come up, they come down. We can get through this. It's all right. Mom's here. Dad's here. We've got you. Here's the dog. Um, you know, also, you know, playing with them is wonderful for emotional expression. And I would say if you can find times to play alarm based games, hide and seek, you know, um, wrestling in many ways, uh, people think, oh, I'm teaching them how to be aggressive. No, actually, we're just expressing what's there. And obviously, as an adult, you have limits and stuff. But try to find some games that add a little bit of alarm to them, you know, maybe a, a board game or something with winning and losing. Something that isn't too provocative, but helps draw out some of those alarm based emotions. Hide and seek is one of the best games ever. Um, and then the other thing is just bridge, like bridge the distance between you and your child, wherever you're going, like, um, your child will need to go to school, potentially your child needs to go to daycare, or we do need to go to bed. So when you're going to bed, you know, same kind of thing, lots of contact and closeness, they may need you to fall asleep, you may decide uh, if you don't sleep with them, maybe you're going to move into their room for a little bit to help them with this. Um, or maybe you know you just offer a little bit more generosity at night and don't uh, make them feel responsible or like oh gosh and this, the more that is a burden to them, the more emotions are going to be stirred up so your job is to take the lead i've got you this is just big feelings coming out you're in safe hands uh you know a few more songs a few more games you know before bed um sing them their old lullabies again if they're not your teenager give it a try if it's your teenager teenager might be kind of a funny experiment um teenagers are another whole uh, scenario in many ways um and bridging is, is essentially trying to hold on through the separation so you're saying okay in the morning because kids who have uh quite high anxiety will say what's the plan for tomorrow where are you going to be and they're they're usually trying to play 20 questions with you so get ahead of it orient them before they're starting to ask you questions so this is what we're doing this is where you're going this is who you're going to be with this is what we're eating and tomorrow we're wearing red <laughs> And you can, you know, make a bit of a game or fun out of it, but just like, I've got you, right? Like, um, and not in an oppressive way, but just like you're orienting the child. I'm taking the lead. I'm here with you. I understand. And, and so what you're doing is you're closing the gap between the separations and you're focusing on connection on the next point of connection. 
you know, in the morning, it's Wednesday, it's going to be waffles, right? And, and or when you're sleeping, I come and put a, a picture book underneath your pillow. Or if it's an older child, uh, you know, you're saying I leave a little note for you underneath your pillow to read or, you know, I come in and check on you and you were, you know, you're snuggled up with your teddy bear, you had the covers off everywhere and had to put them on. And what it conveys to a child is that I'm, I'm here. I'm here and I've got you. Bridging puts the focus on connection and not separation. Alarm is based in separation. Something can happen to me, my loved ones, or I'm going to lose something that's important here to me or something bad's going to happen. So what you're saying is essentially, I'm here, I've got you covered and bridging, you're closing those gaps. And then finally, you know, who are they being left with? This is really important. If they're not with you and you're the source of safety, are they with people? Match make them to the people that they are with. So match make them to the daycare provider um, with their teachers. You know, many times, especially with school refusal, uh, I'll ask and, you know, thank goodness we've got incredible teachers who are continually asked to do more and more and more. But simple things, can they come in three, five minutes early and just help you with something, get their bag settled? I can do one-on-one -on -one hello with the teacher, place them right into the teacher's hands instead of that alarm sort of that happens on the playground but whatever you have to do is just hand them directly into the hands of the people that are responsible for them not another child no other child should carry the emotional weight of another child but into the hands of the adults who are responsible and the principal's there and your teacher's there and they know if you need me that i'm here and they'll help you and i don't send you anywhere that you're not going to be safe or taken care of um i would say taken care of but um instead of safe because we can't promise such things but um you know i don't send you to any adults that uh, can't take care of you or don't know how to get a hold of me so you're basically just trying to surround the child with a sense of you in the most kind caring way and taking the lead and closing the gap on separation and providing lots of room uh, for play and play is as the child's therapy as much as you can and that's true for adolescents as it is true for us we all need more play in play emotions come out that you don't have to look at so directly um, laughter discharges incredible amounts of emotion. I'm, and I'm just starting to do some research on how it equates with crying. Is it as good as a good cry? I actually think laughter is as good as good as a good cry, to be honest with you. I have just from personal experience. <laughs> um, uh, but I, there is something different too about uh, sadness getting to, you know, the futility of things and accepting what you can't change. But play allows for tons of those emotions that are stirred up to come out. And they do settle and a child is able to look at them one step removed and sort through them and feel a sense of agency around them. So you don't have to get in there and, you know, start talking about what they're playing. Um, but if you know you're getting them to the play and to their emotional expression, you're doing, I mean, if you did all that, whoa, you'll be on your way. Yeah. Well, it's so beautiful to listen to you talk. Heather, do you have a quick question? Um, I just relate to so much right now. Just Hudson has been dealing with actually quite a bit of anxiety since we moved this past year. And so we've been doing counseling. We've been just doing a lot of things to, again, just bring that connection back. But, you know, and what you said earlier about those, you know, things that we kind of recognize for him, it was the explosiveness. All of a sudden it was like, where did that come from? <laughs> Two seconds ago, he was happy as a lark. And the next thing I know is like he looks like he's the Hulk and he's like throwing things across the room. <laughs> I was like, yeah. whoa. Um, yeah, and he became very physical with like furniture and toys, his sister, me. <laughs> we were like, what's going on? But, and then as you mentioned too, that separation at sleep, he refused to go to bed. 
He just, he did not want to disconnect. <laughs> and he just wanted to stay up forever and be with us. And he would just keep himself up till he like finally fell asleep at like five in the morning or something crazy like that. So just, there's been a lot of, a lot of healing going on, a lot of work. And so everything you've been saying is just, yeah. <laughs> Well, and you know firsthand as a parent yeah. how hard that walk is and how baffling yeah. it can be and and yet we find our way through we keep working yeah. at it we love our kids and we keep finding our way through and we yeah. have to remember that it's not about you know like development is kind and development solves our problems and helps a child grow and so I think many times we get worried that oh my goodness this is their life path this is somehow you know change them i mean of course it changes us but not necessarily all for the bad these emotions come up because they're trying to communicate messages and so what are the messages that they're sending and how then do we respond to change a child's world like it would be way worse not to have those messages because we'd never have any signals that we needed to actually look at the stuff that we need to do differently for a child um, or create a different environment, you know, for our children outside the home. So mm-hmm. as painful as it is sometimes and worrying, again, come back to that. You are going to find your way through. You keep at it, you know, and you uh, you remember that you are the answer. You know, your son felt safe when he was with you. That's the mm-hmm. whole point. And from there you go. Well, yeah, so you I wish you all the best on that journey with him. Yeah. I'm sure many parents will resonate with that. Yes, I think we all struggle with bedtime and separation and trying to bridge it. And then I think when you actually understand the concept of it, this is what I'm doing. And this is just to bring my child from this step to this step. And I like how you bring them closer to you, use play. And I think uh, the way you describe it, uh, Deborah, it's great because I think to me, it brings some simpleness to things, you know, like now I know what I'm doing and take one step one, two, three, and let's go with this. And if it doesn't work, try again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for this podcast. Where can we find you? Um, Online. Yes. uh, On Zoom. (laughs) Um, (laughs) McNamara.ca is my website. There's also resources through the Newfeld Institute.org and I'm on social media and stuff. And I try to post when I can. And uh, yeah, would welcome connecting with you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Deborah, again for joining us today. To reach us or to view all our available episodes, please uh, visit our website at mom-talk.ca or visit the Mom Talk YouTube channel or all the other podcast uh, platform. The Mom Talk show previously called a Parent Talk Podcast and Les Parents Parlent Balado is a bilingual show, so check out our great content in both English and French. If you're an expert in the parenting world, please visit the contact us section on our website at mom-talk.ca. Uh, we want we want to have you on the show. Come and visit us. So Mom Talks would like uh, to thank our generous sponsors, Tri-Cities Community Television and uh, La Société Francophone de Maillardville. If you know a mom that would benefit from this episode, please share this episode with her. Uh, spread the love. Uh, we want to help one another. Always remember, it's important to laugh, keep learning, cherish your village, and be true to yourself. From Becca, Heather, and I, Genevieve, thank you for joining us. 